Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today. Ah, We've got a wonderful show to cheer you up today. I know a lot of people, especially in New York City and the East Coast, are a little depressed, but don't fear. We're going to give you some reasons to be hopeful and to be happy. So so, uh, definitely cheer you up. And we've got a very special announcement today, but at the end of the show, so make sure you stick around. You're going to like this one. I know my listeners, you guys will love our special announcement today. Um, So let's get started. Make sure we have enough time for our guest today um, with our quotes of the day from the universe and from Abraham. I know you've been waiting all week long. Let's see what the universe and Abraham have in store for us today. First, from the universe. It's always better to give too much, pay too much, and love too much than not enough. But then, since everything comes back to you anyway, how can there ever be too much? I love you too much anyway. The universe. (laughs) We love our quotes from Mike Dooley and the universe. Kind of reminding us that, you know what? It's always better to err on the side of generosity. It's always better to, you know, give more um, than is necessary or than we, we used to because it's all going to come back to us anyway. And, and not only that, but, you know, the act of giving, again, this is giving from a place of self-care and giving of a place where our cup is overflowing, not giving from our lack, not giving from what we don't have. But when we give of ourselves, when we've taken care of ourselves and done good stuff for us, you know, then the giving, it, it just, it, it raises us up. It, it makes not just the world a better place, it makes us better. Okay, so that was the universe. Let's see what Abraham has in store for us today. From Abraham, there, will always, there are always those who thrive when masses are dying of sickness. There are always those who thrive economically when economic decline seems to be the order of your nation. There are always those who are clear-minded in environments of confusion. You do not need everyone or anyone else to align with your desire. Only you need to align with your desire. Abraham. A wonderful quote from Abraham. And it's really sort of this one gets to the heart of this lesson of us manifesting and us creating 
that which we imagine, that which we desire. It's not really about anybody else. It's not about the economy. It's not about the environment. It's not about where you are. It's all about what we are personally aligning to. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, when we, when we align with our desires, when we align with those things that we really want in life, when we align with the vibration of what it is that we're seeking to create, it doesn't matter if everybody else in the country votes for the other candidate. All right. It doesn't matter that, you know, you, you just lost your job. When you align to the things that you're really looking for, our mind starts working differently. We start moving in the direction we need to move in. You start rallying the troops. People start getting uh, resonating with your energy, with with what you're emanating, and you create the movement of change that you're looking to seek. However, if you're focused on all those things you don't want, if you th- focus on everything that's wrong with the world, if you focus on everything that's wrong with the economy, then you're just feeding your brain with all the reasons why you can't succeed and why you can't make a change and why things can't be better. And so then you live into that belief. So it's only by focusing on the fact that it's not about circumstances, it's not about the economy, it's not not about the environment, that then it's about what you're connecting with. Then it's about what you're generating. Now, look, does this mean that we can do everything alone? Absolutely not. Does this mean that it's not easier when things around us are more in alignment with what we want? Of course it's easier. Of course when we have support. Of course when things are moving in the direction we want to move in, it's always easier to overcome the inertia. It's always easier to go along. But we're not here because things are easy. We're here to create. We're here to make a difference. We're here to manifest things of our desires. And that's whether it's a positive desire or a negative desire. You know, we, the, the last show, Ori and Carrie and Kai, they kind of talked about a little bit, you know, our positive thoughts are just as powerful as negative thoughts. Or I should say negative thoughts are just as powerful as negative thoughts for the exact same reasons. So it's when we choose to focus on what is it that we're trying to create, what is the way the world we want to uh, live in, what do we want, what does that world look like, like that's when we are really in our state of empowerment and we're really moving forward in a way that serves the world instead of um, just disempowers us and um, makes us feel like we can't make a difference. We can always make a difference. And actually, we make a difference each and every day by how we show up in life. So I guarantee you, how you're showing up today, right now, regardless of whether you like what's happened in this country in the last week or you don't like it, how you are showing up affects the people around you, affects the world around you, and will affects, most importantly, you. So... Two wonderful quotes from the universe and from Abraham reminding us to it's never it's never a bad thing to love too much. And when we're in alignment by loving too much, um, we can actually create miracles. So two wonderful quotes. We'll have more for you next week. And now 
as I flip around our camera on our Facebook live stream, let me introduce you to this handsome gentleman who's in studio with me today. Um, and yes, of course, for those of you listening uh, via TalkingAlternative.com, if you want to see the video, just go to um, our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TalkingAlternative, and you should see the link there. If not, just go to my personal timeline, Sam Lebowitz in New York City. But it's my pleasure to welcome Joseph A. Bundy to the show today. Very different kind of guest for me. I don't think I've had a lawyer on my show for quite a while. (laughs) And Joseph is a private criminal defense attorney, and he's located here in Manhattan, a graduate of Columbia University and Brooklyn Law School. Um, He's admitted uh, to practice law in New York, um, in the district courts all, all over the place, um, and in Connecticut, and the U.S. Court of Appeals for all kinds of circuits. Why do they call them circuits? I always wondered that. Well, uh, the appellate courts are divided into geographical ranges. So throughout right. the United States, you have uh, 11 different circuits, uh-huh. and each one kind of comprises a, a different region in the country, Sam. That's uh, why. Okay. And those are the intermediate federal uh, appeals courts before you get to the Supreme Court. Because it sounds like a computer to me when you say circuits. You know? <laughs> We've got this circuit and that circuit. Um, he, uh, Joseph is also a life member of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers and the Legal Committee for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, most commonly known as NORML. And that's what we're going to kind of talk a little bit about today, aren't we, Joseph? All about sort of what's going on. There's some exciting things happening in the ref- in, in what's going on in the cannabis industry, the marijuana laws across the country. Um, but first, before we even get to that, I would just love to know uh, what motivated you to become a lawyer in the first place? Well, I grew up in New York City. I was born. I was publicly educated in New York City. Ah. Sam, I went like you did to the Bronx High School of Science. Yes, big shout out to my fellow Bronx Science alum. And I, I quite frankly, was motivated to go to law school because my mother gave me the ultimatum of needing to go to school, you know. And I, <clears throat> So it was either doctor or lawyer, huh? But this was an expedient, you know. Ah. I knew very little about law when mm. I when I made that decision okay and for me at the time it was like cops and robbers i didn't understand yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 distinctions between an intellectual property lawyer a tax mm. lawyer and so i i agreed um with my mother that i would uh, apply to brooklyn law school and indeed ah. i did that and the only law school i applied to i got in <laughs> and it was like i got in you know for a few weeks been, later much must to have my been concern so, so upset about that <laughs> I, I was i didn't expect to go to school so quickly, quickly. you know i'd applied ah. in the summer i was fishing in new hampshire and I, I i i relented and applied and then i got in but on the first day of law school i met my wife in the ah. very first class and i was like struck in love and so Law school started out with really kind of a, a wonderful experience for me. And it's, that's unfolded through the years. Interesting, interesting. And so once you got out of school and started practicing, uh, was there anything in particular that kind of drew you to be a criminal defense attorney? Because, you know, they normally have like pretty bad reputations. Well, again, I was kind of a a product of circumstance. First Mm. off, growing up in New York City, and and particularly if you're in the public schools, you see a a broad demographic of people. Absolutely. And you come to learn when you get older that, you know, for me, a a white Jewish male, Mm -hmm. perhaps I get treated a little bit differently than other people do. Right. 
and I started to think about, you know, giving people a voice and, mm. and, and being able to kind of protect people and be on the side uh, of people. You know, government has a lot of a right. lot of resources, but, right, but, but right. a people's lawyer is a rare thing. And so I wanted yeah. to kind of have a voice for people that needed it. Ah, I see. I see. Very cool. Very cool. So very uh, altruistic of you really trying to help people, which I mean, I, I so much can relate because... You know, I'm a nice Jewish boy, grew up in the Bronx. I'm also a public, <laughs> uh, also a product of public schools for the most part, although I did go to private school for the first, you know, few years. Um, and and really like the diversity. And, and I so, this is one of the things I so, so appreciate. New York was growing up with the diversity, you know. And even in high school, I mean, there were just every kind of ethnic background, every kind of person. I had no sense of prejudice because I was always surrounded by all different kinds of people. And the only prejudice I had was against assholes. You know, if someone was an asshole, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. But if you were cool, I don't care what color your skin was. I don't care what country you came from or your parents came from. If you were a good guy, that's what made the difference to me. And and it's interesting now because as as an adult now, when I go into different uh, social circumstances and I'm around a group of people... If it's like all white people, I'm like, where's the color? You know, if it's like, you know, if the, if if there's no diversity in the group, like sometimes I go to a, a business networking group and, 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 you know, usually there's some diversity, but sometimes there's not. And I'm like, it just feels weird. Yep. Yeah. All right, cool. So it, it, time for us to take our first break. When we come back, I want to talk about sort of how you got involved with Normal because we are going to spend a lot of time in this show talking about sort of the changes in the laws around cannabis and recent elections and the voting. There's been some, you know, a lot of people see all the negative stuff, but there's been some actual good stuff that happened. And we're yep, going to talk quite a bit all about that. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. My guest this hour is Joseph Bond. And we will be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And And welcome welcome to to 21st Century Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun for you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business and your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21stCE Radio or Talk Alternative. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. And 
And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. And we're talking, especially for all, actually a big shout out, first of all, to all the people listening through the Facebook live stream, Melanie, Lauren, Mark, and Steven. Thank you guys for tuning in. We definitely have a fun show for all of you um, with uh, my guest, Joseph Bondi. So, 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 so Joseph, we, we talked about... Can I call you Joe? Yeah, no, call you, me Joe. Call please. you Joe. Okay, good. So Joe, um, you got involved uh, as a as a criminal defense lawyer trying to protect people who hopefully were unjustly charged or were just having to deal with things and that needed representation. Um, when did you started to take up the banner around people sort of dealing with drug charges, marijuana possession, things like that? Well, a couple of things. First off... I became a criminal lawyer to help people, even those who were justly charged. Ah, right? okay. Even people who were guilty. Mm-hmm. Even people who were correctly arrested. Okay. And my goal was to try to present, in all cases, the best of them, the human side, right? They're, they're okay. kind of their original nature, if you will, right? right. The, the person that they are in, right, a, in a positive right. light. So really to give context. And to make a difference in the outcome. You know, some people, judges have discretion at sentencing. Mm -hmm. Prosecutor has discretion in sentencing. Mm. People commit crimes oftentimes for reasons we can all kind of understand if we're we're honest about it. And so when I entered criminal law, it was to help all people. Okay. And it just so happened that when I entered criminal law in the 1990s, the Mm mid-1990s, pre-proposition 420, Mm. we were living in the legacy of just say no. We had ramped up our drug laws. Mm -hmm. We had federal sentencing guidelines that had been recently implemented that call for mandatory minimum sentencing. We had that 100 to 1 crack uh, cocaine to powder cocaine disparity in terms of sentencing for drug quantities. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to me that, you know, I mean, almost every case I had involved a a, a narcotic case and that was a function of me as a young lawyer in in practice in new york city Mm -hmm. not all of them were were marijuana cases Uh, okay and so uh, you know when we think about cocaine or heroin or some of these harder drugs and you you compare them to 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 cannabis i can make a pretty strong argument for for marijuana's legalization a stronger one certainly right there's not to me there's not much of one with these other harder drugs and along the way i came to see the impact that our marijuana laws had upon people in the form of destroying families and in the form Mm. of a punishment that exceeded the crime I, i i can't help but say that for those of us who know, spending the night stoned for whatever these these anti-legalization people say is a lot better for you than spending the night in jail. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again and again and again, I saw who these laws were uh, affecting on a, on a local granular level in New York. They were not affecting a certain type of person from a certain demographic, a social economic group. They were affecting people who were stopped and frisked. Right. And then I, I, I couldn't help but see as I started to dial down and speak to these people and their families mm-hmm. in larger cases, trafficking cases, cases mm-hmm. where the law was broken, mm-hmm. that these were people who also deserved to have their stories told in a way that could make a difference and ameliorate their sentence to the extent mm-hmm. I could, given what then was like a really uh, rigid grid work right, right. and uh, a kind of a, 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 a sentencing scheme that had no way out for right. the average federal offender charged in a mandatory minimum case that's changed since then yes but that was the kind of my beginning you know the wellspring of ideas 
it led to me doing a lot more uh, cannabis cases. Right, right. And back then there was not, well, there was no such thing as medical, legal medical marijuana, and there was no. <clears throat> there were when I first started practicing, there were there were a couple differences, principal differences. Mm-hmm. There was no medical marijuana program to speak of. You could point right. to. Uh, maybe an Alaskan program from the 70s or the New York program that had never been implemented. But it wasn't really until 2006 when you had California's Proposition 420 mm-hmm. that you began to have an acknowledgement of, 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 of a medical marijuana movement and a, and a, a wellspring of um, interest in passing laws in favor of medical marijuana use. Mm-hmm. So that was distinction one. We didn't really have that. And we also... In, in terms of federal sentencing under the, uh, you know, of, of people charged with violating the Controlled Substance Act, Schedule 1, right. we didn't really have a mechanism to go below the mandatory minimum. Uh, now there's something called the safety valve. That's the, that's the, the, the vernacular. Okay. And that's a means for a first-time nonviolent offender who doesn't really lead their, their conspiracy to, to be given relief from the mandatory minimum. But even that didn't uh, exist when I first started practicing. Okay. Rather, people in federal court, if they exceeded a certain threshold, 100 kilos of marijuana for a, a five-year minimum or 1,000 mm. a kilos of marijuana for a 10-year mandatory minimum, were sentenced to at least that term, if not longer, and there was no escape. Uh, Recent years, we also have Attorney General Holder, who last year um, issued a memorandum, not not binding, but a memorandum with respect to the application of mandatory minimum statutes to certain nonviolent drug offenders. Mm -hmm. And these days, the Department of Justice policy, at least in writing, has shifted somewhat So that the nominal average, I guess you'd say garden variety, no pun intended, marijuana (laughs) cultivator or trafficker um, will often not face a mandatory minimum sentence. Now, jurisdictions differ, you know. Right, right. So I'm curious, what got you involved in normal when when you kind of started off? Was it just the the thinking that uh, or seeing that it would have a better uh, effect? Well, in nineteen in the mid nineties, we didn't really have the, the the marijuana policy project. You didn't have the same kind of National Cannabis Industry Association. Both groups I like and, and both groups I support, but you didn't have any of those types of industry groups. You didn't have an industry. Right, right, right. Really it was have, all illegal, so there's such, no legal industry around. And it. so normal was the group. That was the group founded by Keith Straup in, in I think nineteen seventy, you know, a public yeah. interest lawyer who who, mm-hmm. who remains involved and committed and, and, and still around active, absolutely yeah. and, oh, and cool. a really an excellent 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 guy who's done mm-hmm. great work but that mm-hmm. was the group mm-hmm. that was the place that i could find a group of lawyers who i respected as as mm-hmm. really top drawer colleagues and and marijuana policy uh experts mm-hmm. to talk about marijuana issues right. there, there was really the 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 group Right, right, right. You know, I've heard drug use referred to as a victimless crime in the past, right? Because it's really just an individual deciding to, like, you know, I want to go up and get high, and there's no victim in it. I'm choosing voluntarily to do it to myself. So why did these, you know, very stringent drug laws develop in this country over time? Well, I mean... I could disagree with you about oh, okay. drug use as victim, victimless crime, you know, and I, I know a number of people who've 
regretted selling heroin or re- regretted selling cocaine because uh, they see the victims of the crime. It's an, you can victimize well, oneself. Well, it's the use, the use, not necessarily yes. selling. Can, but you difference. can victimize yourself. But yeah, you know, kind of. Um, um, putting that aside, I think that the history of marijuana uh, in America mm-hmm. is one that that is is you know kind of disingenuous. We started out yeah. with marijuana as part of our pharmacopoeia. It was it was legal for a um, uh, uh, doctor to prescribe. Mm-hmm. There were um, <clears throat> cannabis treatments for asthma. Ah. There were cannabis tonics for, for sleeping. It oh, was really, um, a really um, uh, I think, one of the second or third most popularly prescribed drugs at the end of the 19th century. And then ah. as you enter the 20th century, you find prohibition, alcohol prohibition, right. the failure of prohibition, um, a certain segment of our government wanting to kind of shift into a different form of enforcement that many people say coincides with, and you can make the argument certain certain crimes involving Mexican men on American women right. um, and reefer or, or marijuana as they yeah, call it yeah, being yeah. attributed to the to the to the, the criminal activity. Right. You also saw uh, uh, like a, a wellspring of creativity in the African American jazz community. Yes, yeah. and you saw the proliferation of, of reefer in the African American jazz community, and that right. was something that uh, you know formed a separate, if you will, spear for the prohibitionists to try to mm. kind of for for what many people say, and I I, I can't say are not racist mm. reasons. Yes. yes, as time went on, and you saw this general kind of stance towards prohibition increasing. You then see prohibition being used to kind of, <clears throat> one could say, uh, dampen the cultural revolution and to kind of address or counter support uh, or, or dissension from the war in Vietnam. Mm. And that's, you know, puts us right at the time of Nixon. Yeah. You know, yeah. when when President Nixon had essentially commissioned a task force to determine what to do with cannabis and the the task force came back and said gee you know maybe maybe it's not such a bad thing that of course was not listened to and we engaged Uh in an increasing policy of of not only prohibition of of, of marijuana but of of escalating penalization of use and Mm -hmm. and and possession and and sale Mm -hmm. and that culminates of course in nancy reagan and this just say no drugs (laughs) right and you look at the charts and you can see this you know enforcement really peaks in the 90s yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you see enforcement beginning to go down, and now we've reached this bizarre crossroad, and and, and indeed right. the the bizarre crossroad that had been we'd been driving towards it for a while right. has now really come into into a black and white intersection in light of our election last week. Yeah, yeah absolutely. This past week. So 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 let's get into it since you bring it up. We just got a couple of minutes before break, but. Um, this uh, past Tuesday, um, there were a bunch of states that had marijuana referendums. How many states now legalized it? I think we're up to a total of 33 states that have a law on the books legalizing either medical use of marijuana wow. or recreational use of marijuana or both. Wow. So more I'm, than half of the country. Much more than half of the country. We're like a two thir- over two-thirds here. Two-thirds. And wow. I'm putting aside for purposes of our discussion the states that have a CBD or a hemp oil law. Mm. If you take into account the states that allow somebody to, to now grow, process, possess CBDs and hemp, you're over 40 uh, states, so we're over wow. 80% when you take that figure into account. I exclude it for purposes of our discussion because right. I'm talking about the kind of cannabis that, that, right. that is psychoactive. Right, right, right. Got it, got it. 
Wow. So I didn't realize it was that many. How many, uh, do you have a sense of how many new states? Uh, we did, had eight. This, we had, uh, yes, we had eight. I mean, the full list is you've got California in the lead. Right. Which is a state that, that contains 25% of our population. Right. And yeah. they have <laughs> now um, gone towards full-scale recreational uh, legalization. Yeah. I note that some municipalities, even Berkeley, for example, have enacted moratoriums on uh, implementing the recreational law until they determine what they want to do in their own cities. And indeed, they have the right to do that. I think San Mm -hmm. Jose has done the same thing. But that's a huge addition that, yeah that is huge that to is our huge. to our, our our marijuana legal states and yeah, we have a few yeah. other marijuana legal states for um uh believe it or not montana north dakota florida for medicinal purposes florida is mm. a broad-ranging amendment mm. they become the first deep south state to to have this kind of a, a wide-scale medical marijuana program wow. much more uh, 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 wide-ranging than new york's compassionate care act yeah and yeah. it was really just an extraordinary turn of events wow wow so i mean really you know a lot of people may feel this past election you know that the conservatives really um, uh, benefited or, or or got a lot of their um, people elected and that agenda forward but at the same time it's kind Kind of taking a more progressive stance towards marijuana has tremendously increased. Well, I here's the here's here's the the crash at the intersection is what happens now in light of our Republican presidency. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. And and we have to see how conservative this uh, quote unquote Republican really will be, who was a Democrat up until a few years ago. So um, yeah. it'll be very curious to see what what actually comes forth. Okay, so let us take a quick break. When we come back, um, let's talk about some of the implications of this, and you know what do we see looking forward? Okay, sure so everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and my guest this hour is Joseph Bondi, a criminal defense attorney who's very active in the marijuana. Uh, reforms going on right now so everyone please stay tuned we'll be back in a moment you're listening to the talking alternative network Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back. We're talking this hour with Joseph Bundy all about marijuana laws. So this past election, we've now got over um, uh, close to two thirds of the states in the country have some kind of legalization of either medical marijuana, recreational marijuana. 
yet still federally marijuana is a scheduled substance which means it's illegal so that for for people let's say there's kind of what they call the the gold rush now in the cannabis industry a lot of entrepreneurs have been to meetings here in new york city wanting to get involved wanting to do things about it but there's still some challenges around that because federally there's still it's still not so clear that's correct and in fact there's a a a lot of challenges in the field if you start to think about it there are ways to look at at the marijuana industry and i start Mm -hmm. by saying when i became a a member of normal there was no industry yes (laughs) i became a member of normal to get people out of jail and prevent them from going to jail right and to use the laws to try to to effectuate that i thought that was fair right i had never really envisioned there would be a a industry where people are entrepreneurs and there are thousands of Mm -hmm. people who are inventing products and running production companies and benefiting patients and you know benefiting themselves as well i and, never and, and there's all kinds of that. ancillary service providers as well there are like now branding people and marketing people and consulting and people consultants and people all kinds who, of... who sell the greenhouses and the yeah. lighting and everything else there's right, people who exactly. sell cannabis insurance um, cannabis insurance, wow. Cannabis insurance. But there, when you start to think about this on a global level, we have this mm-hmm. big conundrum. We have international mm-hmm. treaties. There are 194 countries who are mm-hmm. signatories to international treaties, like the Single Convention Against Illicit Substances. From These mm-hmm. date back to like the 1970s. Right. And uh, they've been ratified and ratified and ratified again. And the upshot of our international treaty obligation is that we have to make drugs illegal mm-hmm. and we have to have laws on our books. Mm-hmm. Then you get into these finer political questions, like maybe maybe the, uh, the Netherlands, as to whether you have yeah. to enforce those laws <laughs> or it's just enough for them to be on the books uh, and for you to abide by your treaty obligation. But as you can imagine, Sam, the United States led the, the, the cavalry towards um, these, these, our participation in these treaties yeah. and towards making these drugs illegal. And for us to now backtread and be in violation of international law by nationally legalizing cannabis is not a position I think we could take. Uh, And indeed, last year, and I think it was April of 2016, earlier this year, I should say, the United Nations General Assembly of States had a meeting of the signatories to these treaties to discuss mm, what might be done to modify some of these treaties in light mm, of changing uh, cultural opinions and changing mm -hmm. times. I note that at the time of, of Ungas 2016, Uruguay had already legalized cannabis uh, okay. uh, for sale by the government and mm-hmm. cannabis clubs and for growing by individuals. Mm-hmm. Jamaica had recently implemented a program allowing for the sale of cannabis for scientific or for medical purposes. Man, would have thought in, Jamaica led, would have led the well, charge on you know, that one. <laughs> the interesting thing about Jamaica is, you know, they have so much cannabis potential, people think yeah. of it as this cannabis haven. Then yeah. you go to Jamaica, you try the cannabis, and you see there's so much to improve. But yeah. nonetheless, hopefully that'll, that'll change. But what Jamaica's done, interestingly, is kind of cross-honor American patient cards for people arriving from different states with medical cards. So UNGAS this year at the United Nations had a number of things to address in terms of changing cannabis laws and policy. Mm -hmm. And if you take a look on the UNGAS website, you'll find that there wasn't much achieved. Mm -hmm. There are a few clauses that have been inserted in in the statements Mm -hmm. of commitment Mm -hmm. that would appear to allow states to begin, sovereign nation states, that is, to begin to think about 
crafting their own cannabis laws for limited reasons that are mm. within conformity of our treaty obligations. But the thing that most people who talk about marijuana in the streets of New York today who mm. want to get into the industry don't think about is one, the implication of international law and how that might prevent there from being some kind of wholesale legalization. And two, mm -hmm. how for most entrepreneurs, federal legalization is the death knell to their entrepreneurship. <laughs> because here's what happens. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Once there is federal legalization somehow, you would imagine that these banking problems with large-scale national banks entering the mm -hmm. cannabis space will be resolved. Right. Now you couldn't find a large bank to enter the space. Right. Once there's national legalization, you would expect the Patent and Trade Office to begin to actually grant patents for mm. people's cannabis inventions, things they're not doing right now, right. and trademarks as well. I mean, we have a constitutional right to copyright protection, but you don't right. have it in the cannabis industry. Right. You also don't have, for example, normal business deductions. Right. But once you have federal legalization, you have... Large tobacco companies uh, come to mind. Big yes. agro comes yeah, to mind. Not yeah. so much big pharma. Poised with distribution networks, yeah. poised with cultivation abilities, yeah. poised with scientific laboratories to enter into this space. Right. And to literally vaporize, maybe pun intended, all of these mm, other people's profits. Right. And yeah. once, you, once you really follow legalization to its natural course, you think about a joint as a tea bag. You think about right. the cost being on par. Right. You think about the market falling out. I mean, I read an, a, a stat the other day. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has calculated that it takes four cents per pound to transit cucumbers from the Mexican border 400 miles up into the country. Wow. The DEA says it takes $400 a pound to bring marijuana the same distance. Now, that's right. in the illicit market, but, but just by way of example, it's right. a thousand times more expensive in that instance to traffic, to, to, to transit the marijuana. Right, right. Once right. you take into account in our current scheme security and uh, the need to transport in a, a very um, protected manner mm -hmm. and the still quasi-legality of the industry, there are a lot of add-ons. And even then, yeah. the price of marijuana per pound has fallen from, say, $5,000 a pound mm -hmm. for, for the best of all marijuana on the black market 10 years ago to under $2,000 a pound. And so you could imagine that market continuing to fall as all of these new cannabis mm -hmm. entrepreneurs are mm -hmm. leveraged in their investments, leveraged mm -hmm. in the monies they've, they've taken in as loans, and in a very difficult position. Y so we have to be, the, the average cannabis industry person has to be careful of what they're kind of wishing for. for right, right. Be right. careful what you wish for. You may just get it and, and be surprised. Though, you know, what you said before about kind of the banks not really being able to take in the money, I thought, well, you know, that's like a huge difficulty in being a, a cannabis uh, uh, entrepreneur. It's like, you, you know, you can't deposit the cash anywhere. You need lots of safes and stuff. But uh, now that like over 33 states have some kind of legal marijuana laws, I would think that the banks are going to start lobbying the government to legalize marijuana so that they can start taking it in because they're going to see these huge potential deposits that they could have that they can't necessarily take or, or, or they can't take in a reasonable manner now and that that could actually push things in the next five years. I, I agree completely. For, for federal Lobbying by the banks, lobbying by, by big tobacco, tobacco, for example. Yeah. But again, you have to address and answer the international 
right. question but doesn't before we usually in the free in isn't, the clear. isn't Europe usually ahead of us on these kinds of issues? Here's, here's the thing, Sam. Maybe, right? Maybe. But let's talk about 194 countries that have yeah, signed yeah, on. We've yeah, got yeah, countries lot. in the Middle East that are that are mm. not progressive on cannabis. Yes. African nations, not progressive on cannabis. Yes. Asian nations, not progressive on uh, cannabis. Yeah, yeah. China issued a, they went out of their way to, to issue a written report for UnGas, uh, uh, supporting uh, the continued um, implementation of our treaties and our obligations. And so right. maybe Europe is traditionally a little bit more relaxed in their attitudes towards Towards, towards cannabis, but not the, the the lion's share of the people that we have to persuade. Mm-hmm. And so, even if we were to say enact a a federal law allowing states to be exempted from the Controlled Substance Act, right. saying you have a, a sufficiently strong and protected regulatory scheme, and you know we're going to allow you to be exempt and sell cannabis, I think that that kind of a a federal law would even be questionable with respect to our treaty obligations. And so I keep, as I analyze this from a drug policy perspective and not such a granular in the street, mm-hmm. you know, let's open a, a cannabis business perspective, right, which many right, people right. come to me and that's their, their, their state of mind. Right. I see that there are some larger looming problems. And perhaps gotcha. where we are today, which is, and we haven't even gotten to the election, but if we were yeah. to be able to maintain a state-by-state decision-making system with states Mm -hmm. deciding based on the voice of the people, although Mm -hmm. not every state, and indeed New York is not, Mm -hmm. is a ballot referendum state. What we would be able to then do if we lived under the the Cole Memorandum from the Justice Department in Mm -hmm. in 2013 is to continue to operate state entities for purposes of medical and recreational marijuana sales, Mm -hmm. provided they abided by certain relatively simple reasonable um, guidelines, not mm. selling to children, not diverting right, to right, the black right. market, right. not engaging in tax evasion. Yeah. They're relatively simple things that a person in any other industry would abide by. Yeah. If we maintain that system, and that's a big if that, that is right. dependent upon what happens with our new president, that may be the best way for people to be able to buy and sell cannabis. Mm. So, so let me, since you've brought it up now, and I uh, want to make sure we get to it this segment, uh, I kind of feel like our our president elect is a little bit of uh, an enigma that we don't we know some of the yep. things he says he yep. stands for. I don't really believe he stands for half the things he says he stands for. What's your feeling about him in terms of his his positions just in general around cannabis and drugs and stuff? I'm I'm guardedly optimistic and here's guardedly why. I have read quotes of Donald Trump's in the past indicating that he believes that medical marijuana helps people. And indeed, that the medical marijuana, uh, you know, at least the ability for people to receive it should remain. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure of the regime for implementation, Mm -hmm. but at least he appears to be behind medical marijuana. Okay. Uh, As he does with many things, he's referred to recreational marijuana in Colorado as a, quote, disaster. And so (laughs) now this, this, this... makes me wonder what happens with the recreational programs. Is there a rescission of that coal memorandum as it relates to some of these businesses, the, the, the recreational uh, schemes? Or given the fact that reserving rights to the states and reducing the size of government seem to be squarely in the Republican wheelhouse, and this is a multi-billion dollar industry, right, right. right. I feel that there is a, a substantial possibility 
that the current regime will be allowed to um, flourish. I mean, and and there is the fact that like Colorado has been able to do so much with all the tax money that they've gotten from the marijuana industry that's helped them tremendously. I'm sure the the any state that that has a recreational plan and is getting tax revenue from it are going to lobby heavy to, to I, kind of I keep it. I completely agree. A uh, quick quick very quick question before we go. Um do you think this this kind of attitude towards cannabis and legalizing cannabis is this spilling over into the other psychoactive drugs because you know like uh, I, I know we've talked a lot on the show I'm sometimes not sure. I'm not sure. I mean the notion that that people think LSD should be legalized, I, I don't, I don't find that to be a more popular notion. Right. Awaska, peyote, yeah. certain mm-hmm. ritual, sacramental, right. psychoactive substances. I think there is a push towards allowing traditional native groups to be able to utilize those those sacraments mm-hmm. but right. i'm not sure about there being any kind of support for the broader population gotcha. being allowed to use them okay great great all right believe it or not it's time for us to take our last commercial break and we're going into our last segment and everyone you definitely want to stay tuned because we've got a very exciting announcement that we're going to talk about next segment so please stay with us you're listening to the conscious consultant hour and we'll be right back you're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com. TalkingAlternative.com Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour with Joseph Bondi all about sort of the whole legalization aspect of marijuana and what's been going on with the medical marijuana and and recreational marijuana use. And we have a very exciting announcement, don't we, Joe? Yeah, we do. We do. Starting tomorrow, is it? At 11 a.m. At 11 a.m. Gee, you know what tomorrow's date is? 420. 1111. 1111. So on 1111 at 11 a.m., we have the premiere of... In the Know 420. In the Know 420, the newest show here on Talking Alternative. What's it all going to be about? Well, In the Know 420 is, is the first brick in the Cannabis Broadcast Network, which is ah. something that I've envisioned. I think the time is ripe yeah. for people who are talking about cannabis and, and, and on all levels of the, of the debate to mm-hmm. be able to kind of, you know, put their content up, speak about the issue. And right. for me, with my show, um, I wanted to bring a academic 
and also kind of like a real life experience um, blend of people to the show. And mm. so I intend to have people who are attorneys in the field, who mm. are doctors prescribing marijuana throughout the country, people who are entrepreneurs in the industry who are running some form of a business, mm -hmm. people who have suffered federal um, mandatory minimum sentencing, mm. former federal law enforcement agents, people who um, are now working in the cannabis industry, having worked in government. Wow. I want to bring everyone to bear and on a weekly basis kind of talk about the American cannabis revolution right. as it evolves because every single solitary day you see something different. Right. So I want both sides of the debate. I would like to right. have as many voices in the community, in that marketplace of ideas as we can have. Wonderful. I want to take on issues with all kinds of people from their perspective about mm -hmm. full-scale legalization, what that mm -hmm. may mean, um, limited legalization, mm -hmm. cannabis as a, a, a medical, um, uh, uh, as, a, as a medicine. medicine right. um, I want to speak to people about issues that, and we just had one at the break that was raised, yeah. uh, that affect criminal justice reform, right. whether there is a mechanism or a means for expungement right. of a medical conviction. Right. And so I have a slate of people scheduled. Tomorrow I'm going Wonderful. to have speaking with yes. us David Holland, who for uh -huh. a number of years was general counsel at High Times Magazine. Uh, and David uh, is a dear friend. He's an excellent attorney. He and I have tried federal cases before. And he is currently the executive director of New York State Normal. We are we work uh, in New York on normal matters together as well. Great. But he and I are going to talk about the various uh, state statutes, changes in law, and mm -hmm. our outlook for the future. Great. Um, I'll have a public service announcement from a former law enforcement official who was convicted for selling a couple kilos of marijuana and lost his career. He will uh, talk about how you must obey the law, and if you uh, want to uh, advocate and lobby for change, you should do that through proper channels. I'm looking forward to, as the season progresses, we're going to have Kareem Burke, who mm -hmm. many people call Biggs. He's known <laughs> for having founded Rockefeller Records with Jay-Z yes. back in the day, and I came to know Biggs when he came to me as a client in a federal mm -hmm. marijuana case. He's going to talk to us about the evils of federal mandatory minimum marijuana sentencing mm. and life after serving a prison sentence for marijuana. He has a very mm. successful denim line he's going to talk to us about. And in the same show, which is episode two, we're going to have a group of young people who I love. I'm smitten with them. Mm -hmm. They are the Cannabis Cultural Association. Uh -huh. And I met them. They were co-sponsoring, I think, an NCIA, a National Cannabis Industry mm -hmm. Association event in New York. They um, also co-sponsored a uh, Elizabeth Kruger, Senator Kruger, discussion on her plan to tax and regulate cannabis. But the CCA will be here to talk about their mandate, which is to expand diversity of hiring in the cannabis industry. Mm. They also have an expungement project that they're working on. I'm helping them with that. Wonderful. And they're going to talk about their, their project. Their idea is to have low-level marijuana offenders in New York be eligible to have their convictions expunged after a certain period of time. Oh, wow. And then we're going to have cool. a little Q&A between Biggs and the CCA about how they best can succeed in business. So, so you're going to focus on sort of what's going on in the industry overall, kind of nationally, as well as dealing with local issues here in New York Absolutely. State. Absolutely. We may have people from foreign countries who are involved ah. in the cannabis programs of certain nations talking about ungas, talking about right. international law. I'm, I'm curious. 
are there similar kind of movements in other countries to really uh, legalize cannabis and to kind of be more progressive as as we're seeing here in the United States? <laughs> well, Jamaica strikes me as one. You yeah. had for a number of years the, the Rastafarian community being marginalized and yeah. criminalized for yeah. their efforts at legalizing cannabis. And now you see in Jamaica a form of legalization that frees a lot of people to to provide a lot of cannabis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uruguay, you've got more of this state-sponsored, um, almost socialized right, cannabis right. program, you know? Right. But yes, Israel is a, a pretty good example of a, a state that has progressive uh, views towards, towards cannabis and an increasing movement towards uh, scientific and, and medical research. Oh, okay. Has there been anything over your involvement uh, with normal and, the, and sort of the cannabis industry and defending people that's really surprised you over the years? The first surprise I had was when I went down to represent a woman in North Carolina in a mm -hmm. federal marijuana sentencing case. And I was a very young lawyer. And she's today a pretty well-known activist. She was facing time for having imported some kilos of marijuana from Switzerland. She distributed a lot of it to terminally wow. ill people. And we're talking in the you know, 1990s. Okay. And she was being sentenced in Raleigh, North Carolina. I got mm -hmm. down to meet her. I met my co-counsel. You know, I was sent by the Normal Foundation. Mm -hmm. And I saw her, and the first thing that really blew my mind was that she reminded me of my mom. She could have wow. been my mother. You know, she was just... She wasn't some outlying, fringe-dwelling, counterculturalist person. She was a mm. loved member of her community. She was a person who uh, uh, provided an enormous amount of support and an enormous amount of love to the people all around her. Mm. And that was my first kind of revelation. Right. Um, I've had a couple others through the years. Some of them involve people who go to prison that, that maybe don't have to. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. Cool. So, so in the know, 420, it'll be on right. every Friday at 11 a.m. Um, and uh, as you said, it's going to be sort of part of a broader effort, sort of the just initial or the linchpin, at least, to get this uh, Cannabis News Network That's right, uh, going. That's right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled and, and we're all very excited here talking alternative to have you join our network. I mean, this is exactly kind of the, the thing that we've built this network for is to present alternative views on things that you may not necessarily see in the mainstream media. So Thank welcome you. and uh, we hope you will enjoy your experience with Thank us. Thank you for having me. Thank ah, you, my pleasure. We'll my pleasure. Tomorrow. Thank you. See you tomorrow. So everybody, make sure you Tune in tomorrow at 11 a.m. right here on TalkingAlternative.com for the premiere of In the Know 420. Oh, before I forget, if people want to learn more about you, Joseph. Uh, they can reach me either on my website, which is josephbondy.com, J-O-S-E-P-H-B-O-N-D-Y.com. They could mm -hmm. look at federalmarijuanadefense.com as well, a, a site that I run, which I, I um, uh, envisioned as a federal resource to help people who are in trouble. Right. But those are pretty good uh, uh, sources if you want right. to Right, so you out. can help people regardless of whether they're local here in New York City or across the nation if they're dealing with some kind of... Yes, yes, and if you look at federal marijuana defense, I have a directory mm. in every state of ah, lawyers who are committed wonderful. to helping people in cannabis cases, expert right. witnesses, all that kind of stuff. Right, right, but yeah, I'm here to help anyone. Right. So, yeah. uh, just uh, curious, if there are two states that have 
um, marijuana laws and you transport cannabis across those state lines, do you get in trouble? <laughs> you get in trouble for now. For yes. now. Okay. All right. Good to know. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome. Thank you, Joseph. Okay. So, everybody, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's show. I know it was a real thrilling for us to to kind of be able to to deal with these leading edge topics and to bring uh, something new and, and different. Um, so we're really looking forward to this. Uh, next week, I have on actually a wonderful woman, a crystal healer by the name of Krista Mitchell. Um, we're going to be airing that show. We pre-recorded it, so it'll be, uh, it'll be airing live for the first time uh, next Thursday, the 17th um, at, at 12 noon. And, uh, you know, this is just the first announcement of some new shows. We have a couple of other possibilities that I have a really good feeling are going to come through. So I think you're going to start seeing a little bit more, a little bit of growth in the programming here at Talking Alternative. So I hope uh, you will stay tuned for all of that. I also want to remind people that uh, next Thursday evening, uh, November 17th, is the third meeting of our Conscious Business Collective. You've heard me talk about it in the past. Um, uh, I actually even dedicated an entire show to talking about it. It still should be up on the archive page. So please make sure you go to TalkingAlternative.com and click on the Conscious Consult an hour and take a listen to that if you haven't. It starts at 6.45 in the evening, um, and you can find out all about it at our meetup group, which is meetup.com slash conscious-biz-collective, or just go go to meetup.com and just uh, do a search for Conscious Business Collective. You'll find out all about it. In addition to that, because I had such a wonderful response to the spoon bending workshop last month, we are having another one this month on the Monday before Thanksgiving. That's November 21st, I believe, right here at the Double Diamond Wellness Center. So if anyone's interested in that, please um, uh, come and uh, register. Um, You will also find that on the Conscious Business Collective and our other meetup group, the New Earth Society. So either one of those. Or just sign up for our newsletter at talkingalternative.com and you you know scroll down. Don't like just ignore the newsletter. Scroll down, look at the events. The links will be right there for you to um, to RSVP. So everybody, thank you for listening, and we shall talk to you next week. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And And welcome welcome to to 21st Century Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun. For you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business. And your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21st CE Radio or Talk Alternative. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? 
Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.